What an inspiring anthem this morning. And the good news is we're all going to have a chance to sing Amazing Grace at the conclusion of our service out in the courtyard. Thank you to the choir this morning. I want to read about that amazing grace as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter. Our text this morning is the story of blind Bartimaeus and his encounter with our own Lord Jesus Christ. I hear the faint sounds of... They've been... uh, joining in worship over at the contemporary worship as well. So as we enjoy the bagpipes, let us now listen for God's word to us. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar who was sitting by the roadside, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. And he said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight And he followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, dear God, we come once again to hear your word. So now, quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may hear your word. And be not hearers only, but doers as well. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, I can't imagine my life without sight. And yet, someone once asked Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? And she replied, it's more terrible to have eyes and Nazi. A tourist once stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and turned to the park ranger there and asked, where's the golf course? And when the ranger told him, we don't have one here, he said, well, what do you do around here? Here he is standing before one of the great wonders of the world and he didn't see it. Or take the visitor to Paris, France, who dashed off an email to friends and relatives. We did the Louvre in half an hour. (laughs) If it had banked corners, we could have done it in 20 minutes. 
There in the presence of the great masterpieces of the world and just never saw it. What a remarkable gift that God has given us each two eyes for ourselves to see the world. To wonder at the, magnific at the magnificence of a star-studded night. Did you see the sunrise this morning? It was glorious. A sunset, the grandeur of the mountains, the remarkable coastline and beaches of California. We get to see them with our own eyes. But like a lot of you, I want to see things I can't see. I want to know what's going on behind closed doors. I have a curiosity about the things that are unseeable. So in order to see the stars that he couldn't see, Galileo developed the telescope. And now we have microscopes that extend our vision down into the minutia of life at the molecular level. And with radar and GPS, we can see through the fog in the night. You see, seeing depends on what there is to be seen and partly on my ability to see. That is, my horizon of seeing. Or maybe more particularly, the limits of my horizon of seeing. Now, if I stand on the beach, I can watch a ship go over the horizon. I can see the hull disappear, and then the bridge, and then the stacks, and then the mast. And on a clear day, I can see 2.9 miles out to sea. But if I go down to LAX, I get into a plane, and I go up 1,000 feet, I can see 42 miles out to sea. I can see the ship again, and I can see miles of ocean beyond the ship. And if I get up to 3,000 feet, I can see 72 miles. And if I jet all the way up to 30,000 feet, I can see 250 miles. You see, it depends on your horizon. On another level, two of us can look at the same thing and one of us will see more than the other. One physicist, quantum physicist, put it this way, understanding the true nature of light requires looking not only through our eyes, but with the soul. Your vision requires far more than a functioning organ. Without a formative visual imagination, we're blind. You and I live in a context in which we have constantly moving images before us. Our society increasingly is using dash cams and body cams for our police officers so every encounter with the public can be recorded and filed and retrieved on demand. And the fact is, people do tend to behave better when they know they're being videotaped, both police officers and the public. 
But I can't help but remember the Rodney King video or the O.J. Simpson trial or Ferguson, Missouri, and it's amazing to me that the images that we've had didn't seem to clear up the confusion. And we're going to have to face the fact that people can look at the same images and have complete lack of agreement about what those images really mean. And the extent to which our society is in crisis may be in large measure because we're in the midst of a crisis of perception. Which brings me to this text in Mark 10. The story of a blind beggar approaching Jesus. And it's the final miracle story in the Gospel of Mark. It's a story about seeing and believing. Bartimaeus was no shrinking violet like Zacchaeus was, who was hiding in the tree, just wanting to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He was yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd in vain was trying to silence him, because not only was it irritating to have a beggar yelling, but these were words of sedition. They could be interpreted as an assault on the emperor because the claim was a messianic one. He was living in occupied territory. And to claim that one had the, was the rightful heir to the throne of David well, that was proposing sedition. He was a rabble-rouser to be dealt with harshly. No wonder the crowd was trying to silence Bartimaeus. So here's this man who shuffles down some alley, tapping his way, until his cane finally brought him to the city gate and Carefully, he sat down in that familiar place by the side of the road. He'd sat there so long, many people thought he was an institution. Now and then they'd toss him a coin, but Bartimaeus had no idea who it was that threw the coin his direction. People came and went. He lived on the sidelines of life. He was out of the mainstream. And then suddenly one day in his darkness he senses this vitality of movement with that sixth sense that he had to develop to survive. He reached out and he grabbed someone and he said, What's happening? What's going on? And a faceless voice shouts back, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And those hurried words sent the blood flowing hot and fast through this blind man's arteries and he got on his feet. And it got him shouting. Into the darkness and the confusion of the world where Bartimaeus lived, so close to emptiness and so close to death, came this strange man from Galilee and Jesus 
always comes unexpectedly. Sometimes in the most unlikely situations, maybe at a party, maybe you're at work or at lunch, when all of a sudden you feel disgusted with the way life looks. And you feel like you'd give your very life to break and reform some twist of your own character that keeps you from being the kind of person you want to be. Such moments come to us, like they did to Bartimaeus, and they remind us that Jesus Christ is passing by. They told him it was Jesus of Nazareth, but he shouted out, Son of David. And his shouting stopped Jesus in his tracks. Now that's impressive. You know, I know people, unlike Bartimaeus, who tell me they've quit calling on God. They've stopped praying. When I ask them why, they tell me they just can't believe that the God who controls the entire universe will stop to worry about the pain in their lives or the concern they have for their children or the anxiety they live with about their future or their love life. But not Bartimaeus. Not this blind man. So Jesus stopped. And nobody had really stopped for Bartimaeus for years. Suddenly Jesus did. And off comes the cloak and he stands and he's there trembling and he's breathless. And Jesus said, all right, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question Jesus asked James and John last week. We've all heard you shouting, but I can't respond to vague generalities, Bartimaeus. Tell me precisely. Don't beat around the bush now. What is it you want me to do for you? And here, Jesus Christ, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid, says the same thing almost unendingly, to you and me, to every last one of us, the young and the old, the lucky and the unlucky, the victims as well as the victimizers. Because there isn't one of us who is not in some way in need of what Jesus brings. And it's because of what Jesus brings that we know best who Jesus is. My sight, sir, my sight, replied Bartimaeus, I want to see. You know, there's some ancient manuscripts that actually read, I want 
to see you. As though Jesus is the one whom we search for even when we don't know we're searching. The one we hide from even when we don't know we're hiding. And in Jesus, people began to discover the light of the world. You know, one person can look at life and see nothing that gives life meaning. No meaning in the present, no hope in the future. And another person looks at life and sees the Christ and sees that spirit still in the world, infusing it with light and life and love. And seeing Christ helps me to know that if I had never known darkness, I might never have seen the light. I would never call anything ugly if somewhere along the line I had not seen something indescribably beautiful. Lord, I want to see. That kind of sight that opens the eyes of my soul to things that are no longer bounded by time and space. I want my horizons enlarged. And I suddenly sense that it is God who wraps Himself around this planet and gives it life. So here's the irony of the text. This blind beggar understands the messianic secret. He understands who Jesus is. The irony of all ironies, it's the blind who see. And those with sight are blind. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem from Jericho. It is an uphill climb all the way, both literally and figuratively. And His disciples don't get it. Jesus is on His way to the crucifixion and His disciples are arguing about who is going to be the chief of staff. But Bartimaeus refuses to be muted when he learns who is passing along the road. He cries out, And then he follows on the way. Gaining sight and following on the way are two sides of the same coin. The Christian life is one of increasing progressive sight giving. From blindness to insight, from darkness to light, from stumbling our way through life to direction and determination and accomplishment. Because your horizons expand. Because you know who you are. And to whom you belong. And everything else begins to find its place in life. Now this morning, we had a chance to hear a great anthem. And we're going to conclude our worship service this morning singing that great hymn, Amazing Grace. It is known by every denomination and culture, and it is sung from memory for most of us. It's John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. It was first included in the Olney hymns from his little church in Olney, England. Newton contributed nearly 300 hymns to that collection. He was a friend of George Whitfield and John Wesley. He lived between the years... 1725 and 1807. 
And the original title of that hymn was Faith's Review and Expectation. Amazing Grace, as you probably know, tells the story of Newton's own transformation. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Coming to faith was for John Newton, moving from blindness to sight. So he and Bartimaeus had much in common. He grew up the son of an English sea captain, and at 11 years of age, John Newton went to sea himself. He worked his way up, swabbing decks, hoisting sails on many voyages through the Mediterranean and the West Indies, and eventually he became the captain of a ship during the height of the trafficking in black slaves. Newton writes these words, During the time I was engaged in the slave trade, I never had the least scruple to its lawfulness. I was, upon the whole, satisfied with it, as the appointment providence had marked out for me. Yet, it was in many respects far from eligible. I considered myself a sort of jailer or turnkey, and I was sometimes shocked with an employment that was perpetually conversant with chains and bolts and shackles. But then he experienced a conversion. It was during the night, and it was a particularly dreadful storm at sea. Several of his crew had already been washed overboard. The rest were desperately trying to keep the ship afloat. They spent the night pumping and bailing, and at about 9 o'clock the next morning, Newton, quote, said almost without meaning, If this will not do, the Lord have mercy upon us. This, though spoken with little reflection, was the first desire I had breathed for mercy for the space of many years. I was instantly struck by my own words. So it directly occurred, what mercy can there be for me? I thought if the Christian religion were true, I could not be forgiven and was therefore expecting and almost at times wishing to know the worst of that storm. Newton did not know the worst of that storm. He survived. And he went on to become a minister. And in 1792 at the College of New Jersey, which is now Princeton University, he received an honorary degree at the same time as Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. Before he died, Newton wrote his own epitaph. And it read in part, John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, who was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. I once was lost, but now am found. 
was blind, but now I see. Throughout history, people of faith have opened their eyes by God's grace to a new and a different reality than the one they have known on whatever road upon which they struggle. Like John Newton and Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, authentic encounter and engagement with this living Lord produces new eyes, new ears. And our lives are changed forever. And it happens right along the road upon which we're struggling. The conversion not only was one that changed their lives, it put them in life a completely altered way with a completely new horizon. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? Don't let him pass by without raising your voice. No vague generalities this time. What do you want me to do for you? Thanks be to God. Amen.